This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? It's another hot one. It's just hot. We're recording, and it's just <laughs> hot. Like, this just won't go away. <laughs> we had a crazy thunderstorm here today. Did like, you? Like, out of nowhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. It woke us up this morning at, like, 2 a.m. with, like, flashes of lightning in our bedroom, and the thunder was so loud, it was shaking the house. It was crazy. Dang, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I woke up at 4.45 this morning and turned the air on, so that's a lot cooler than it is here. Yeah, it definitely cooled everything down. It's like only in the 80s here today. Oh, dang. It was close to 100 if it wasn't 100 today. So let's jump into this case because it's probably one of my most favorite cases that we've covered yet. Yeah. This story is ridiculous. Like, it's not bananas. It's not crazy. It's literally unbelievable. It's unimaginable is what it is. Like... This this would only have happened in, like, a movie. So, for those of you who don't know the story of Nicholas Barclay, buckle up. We'll try not to give away too much before we get to the main thing, but whew. So, in 1994, Nicholas Barclay was 13 years old, and he was living with his mom in San Antonio, Texas. And his mom's name is Beverly, and he has an older half-brother named Jason and an older half-sister named Carrie. And they're, like, significantly older, like 10, 12 years older. Yeah. And Nicholas's mom never married or was really with his dad. And from everything I heard, Nicholas never really knew his dad either. And Carrie was already married and living on her own, his older sister, with her kids and her husband. Jason, however, kind of had a bit of a cocaine addiction. (laughs) Kind of? (laughs) He had a massive cocaine addiction. Yeah. So he was still in and out of his mom's house. But Beverly, their mom, worked seven days a week and she worked nights. And it's also rumored that she had a little bit of a substance abuse issue as well, probably heroin. Yep. But she still held a full-time job. Which is impressive. And, you know, I had actually heard Carrie say that her mom was probably like the most functional drug addict there was. Like they didn't go without. They always had things, nicer things too from what she's described. But she also liked heroin. Yeah. And she struggled a little bit raising Nicholas. And maybe it's because he was the baby or he was so much later than her other children. But he was only 13 and he was already headed down a pretty rough road. Yeah. He was skipping school. He was robbing places. He had tattoos. Smoking cigarettes and stuff. Like probably smoking weed. Like he was just doing everything that you shouldn't be doing at 13. But it sounds like just no one was really paying attention to him. And he had been in trouble with the law, too, and with school. Beverly said she just couldn't control him. She was one of those kids that was just like, fine, I'll leave. And she's like, well, you can't leave. (laughs) You're 13. (laughs) His tattoos were nothing cool, either. They were, like, really simple letters, right? Yeah, they were all initials. He had one, like, on his hand and a couple on his ankle and one on his shoulder, I think. But they were all initials, and nobody seems to know what they meant. They weren't, like, his initials or his mom's or anything. I was going to ask you if you knew because, yeah, I hadn't heard what they were either. And Mm -mm. pretty curious on why a 13-year-old is getting, you know, initials or, I mean, really they're letters, but getting them tattooed anyway. And he was getting them from other, like, 13-year-olds. It's not even like he was, you know, doing this by anybody who was good at it. It was just somebody who had access. Yeah. I don't know. But obviously she was struggling with Nicholas. So she asked Jason to move home to help her with Nicholas, which turns out probably not the most helpful. No, it's never really a good idea to bring a drug addict into your house. Right. And the cops were called for various domestic violence issues on a pretty regular basis. Like, not only did Nicholas have behavioral problems, but then you're adding Jason's problems into it and their mom's problems. So them all living together was pretty dysfunctional, to put it gingerly. I always wonder, too, if it was as much his mom needed help with Jay or with Nicholas as it was she just wanted Jason to kind of maybe go, you know, he needed somewhere to go. And so she, like, yeah. guised it as that to get him home. Yeah, I've kind of thought that, too. 
But sometime in 1994, Nicholas got in trouble with the law again. And he either stole a pair of shoes or he threatened a teacher at school with a knife. Those are very different things. Yeah, well, from each account that you hear, it's like one time it was this thing, one time it was that thing. But those are the two things that I've heard were like the major things. Obviously, he was in trouble for skipping school and stuff like that, too. But these were the things that were causing like legal problems for him. Like he had to go to court on June 14th for this. Right. So on or around June 10th, 1994, Nicholas and his mother supposedly had some kind of an argument about the possible outcome of this court date on the 14th. There was a huge possibility that the judge was going to be sending Nicholas to either like a group home or a juvenile facility because it was becoming pretty clear even to the courts that Beverly couldn't control him. Like this situation was out of control. Yeah. And apparently Nicholas wasn't a big fan of this idea because he had a lot of freedom at home with his mom working nights and stuff. He really didn't have any rules, obviously. Yeah, he he wasn't looking forward to this at all for, I mean, I don't think any kid ever is looking forward to leaving their mom's house, but especially when he, he's kind of running the, the show, gets to do whatever he wants. Exactly. And obviously at a facility, he won't be, it'd be a lot stricter. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, so according to Beverly, she gave Nicholas $5 and he left the house to go play basketball at the local park with some friends and she went to sleep because she worked night shift. So she had to sleep during the day. And that was a very normal thing for her. It's very normal for anybody who works night shifts to go to sleep during the day because you got to sleep sometime. So later that afternoon, Jason, his older brother, says that Nicholas called asking for a ride home. And according to Jason, he told him to walk the mile or two home because he wasn't going to wake up their mom to come get him. I was wondering, too, did Jason not drive? Like, was that or did he just not want to go get him or something? From what I've heard, he did drive, but he didn't have a car. And he thought if he started Beverly's car and went to go pick up Nicholas, it would wake her up. Mm, okay. But also it could be older brother like, hey, you were the one that wanted to go play basketball. Walk home. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I mean, as an older brother, I could definitely see myself being like, no, just you walk there, walk back. Like, come on. Exactly. But either way, Nicholas never made it home that afternoon. It was a one to two mile walk, but he just never made it home. Three days later, on June 13th, 1994, Beverly finally reported Nicholas missing. Yeah, this is a problem. Like, I know he's (laughs) had his issues. I understand that. But this is your very minor son. You have to report this immediately, even if this is something he does all the time. You have to report it immediately. Well, the reason Beverly gives for waiting was that he had run away before and he always came back after a day or two, but he'd never been gone this long. So she was starting to really worry and she knew he was going to miss his court date the next day. Oh, for sure. Now, so let's get something clear first, because my understanding was he went missing and the next day was his court date. But you're saying it was a few days later. So which is it that he had it a like on the 14th or did he have it on the 11th? Well, that's why I said on or about the 10th, because it's not really clear what day he went missing. It is clear that she reported him missing on the 13th and that his court date was the 14th. But okay. she said it had been a few days. I see. OK, thank you for clarifying that, because I looked into this quite a bit and I got conflicting reports yeah. back and forth. And so yeah. I just wasn't sure. But OK, so this makes sense. Yeah, so the media attention and the alarm bells for law enforcement at this point should be ringing pretty loud, like tornado sirens loud. Yeah. I mean, a 13-year-old boy had been missing for three days. Unfortunately, though, they were like, yeah, that makes sense. He didn't want to go to court, so he bounced. Right. It's like, where do you guys think he bounced? Well, at this point, the police do know who he is. Like, they know what it, like yeah, how he course. operates and stuff. And so I do understand, not saying it's right, but I do understand the police in this situation reacting the way they do. I think it was wrong, but yeah. it is in line with other police investigations that we've seen of similar styles. Yeah. So it appears that there was almost no media attention either with this, which makes sense. If the police aren't really taking it seriously, why would the media? Right. The police kind of went with the, he ran away and he's going to turn up somewhere. And they were like, he was wearing purple pants and a pink backpack. How could we miss him? He's going to show up. It's like, um, <laughs> I don't I mean, that's he's such been a gone three days. Do you really think he's still holding his backpack? Yeah, it's such a small piece in the whole picture. Like, yeah, he's not going to yeah. be carrying his pink backpack or wearing probably wearing his purple pants anymore. Or at the very least, he can ditch those things and get different ones. No kidding. 
So it kind of baffles me when they're like, oh, he's a runaway. We're not going to look for him. It's like, even if he was a runaway and he was running from his court date, first of all, he had a court date, so you need to go find him because now he's going to be wanted. Secondly, he's 13. Even if he's a runaway, he's not allowed to be a runaway. Yeah. He's 13. You still have to find him. Absolutely. I never understand that argument. Because it's not a very good one. Yeah. It's like you don't let 13-year-olds run away. That's not how life works. Anyways. So there's no clues on Nicholas's whereabouts for three months. And then finally a sighting comes in. Jason, who is Nicholas's older half-brother, called the police to say he saw Nicholas breaking into their garage. And the police responded to this call. And they checked the garage. There was no sign that somebody tried to break into it. And they canvassed the area a little bit, but they didn't find anything. No sign of Nicholas or that he had been there. Is there any indication that Jason chased after him? Because that would have been my first indication is like, I would have chased after him if I couldn't catch him, didn't see him, whatever. Then I would have called the police and been like, hey, my little brother was just here, blah, blah, blah. But from everything I've understood, there's really no indication that he even made like an attempt to go after him. Um, In a documentary that I watched, the way it was described was that when Jason tried to go out and confront him when he realized it was Nicholas, Nicholas took off and ran. So I don't know if Jason ran after him. I don't know. We don't know. And we'll find out later why we don't know. Yeah, it's hard. This hard. This story is hard. It really is really hard because there's a lot of he said, she said, and people may be doing things and we don't know. Like there's a lot of broken parts in the whole thing. Yep. So the next three years go by with no sightings, no word from Nicholas, nothing. He just vanished. Pretty unbelievable if he was just a runaway. He had $5 in his pocket and the clothes on his back. Yeah. And he was a troubled kid. He'd been in trouble with the law and with his parents and with the school. You don't think in three years he's going to get picked up doing something? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he's 13 anyway. Like, yeah. a police officer is going to see a kid who's like, that kid looks like he's 13. Like, I should talk to him. And we didn't even talk about Nicholas's stature. I was going to say, we didn't say how small he was. He was right. only four foot eight and 80 pounds. So he didn't even look 13. Absolutely. I mean, when I looked it up, I think typically height wise for a 13 year old, like five, three or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. well below. Yeah. And over 100 pounds. And he's well below 100 pounds. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, he was he was small for his age. So, th- like we said, three years go by, no sightings. This is unbelievable. And nobody's really even looking for this. I mean, the police don't care. They're like, well, we're done with that problem. The media doesn't give a shit. Nobody cares. Right. Then in October of 1997, Beverly got a phone call while she was at work from the police and Nicholas had been found alive in Spain. (laughs) What a phone call, man. Like, honestly, at this point, she's probably never expecting to get a phone call, much less that he's alive and in Spain. Yep. So a police officer apparently named Jonathan Durant in Leonaris, Spain, called NECMEC to let them know that there was a missing American boy found alive in Spain. So Carrie, Nicholas's older half-sister, hopped on a plane and headed to Spain to go get him. And her work paid for it, too. Yeah. Oh, I heard that, too. That was really nice. That's super nice. Are you kidding? Like, I mean, I would imagine in most people's cases, they can't just afford to hop on the next flight out to Spain. (laughs) And, you know, so for a company to pick that up for them, because this is huge. This is a huge deal. Like, that is a really kind thing for them to do. I'd be screwed, too, because I don't even have a passport. I'd be like, well, you're going to have to wait (laughs) six months while I get a passport. I think I'd be going for you. Yeah. So when Carrie arrived at the group home in Spain, Nicholas was reluctant to come out and greet her. He was scared and he locked himself in a bathroom. But when he finally did, she grabbed him. She hugged him. She was so happy to have her little brother back. Who wouldn't be? You know, yeah, again, she probably wasn't expecting to ever get that phone call either. But it wasn't all peachy keen, though, because Nicholas had been through a rough ordeal, was not the same little boy that they had lost three years before. Turns out a tourist in Spain had found him huddled inside of a phone booth in the rain and called authorities and was like, uh, there's a little kid in a phone booth in the rain. Somebody's got to come get this kid. Something's wrong with him. Uh, I'm not from here. I don't know what else to do. (laughs) Yeah. So when the authorities come to pick him up, he didn't really know where he was and he hardly spoke. He was like obviously traumatized and wouldn't tell them who he was. When they would like reach out to try to like touch his hand or anything, he'd flinch and jump back. He was like real scared. I'm sure he'd been through a lot. 
Yeah. So they took him to a children's home nearby while they kind of like assessed the situation and tried to figure out what the hell was going on. And they even talked to him in a few different languages because they were like, do you speak Spanish? Do you speak French? Do you speak English? What do you speak? Because he wasn't talking back. Right. Finally, after a few days of not being able to figure out who he was or what happened to this kid, they decided they were going to fingerprint him to finally figure out who he was. And that's when he broke down. And he said he was a missing kid from the United States and that he had been sex trafficked by American and European military men from the U.S. all the way to Europe. That's some Jeffrey Epstein stuff. Yeah. He said his name was Nicholas Barclay and he was from Texas and he had been missing for over three years. God. The police are probably just sitting there going, what did we just stumble into? What is this? How do we fix it? Oh my God. Yeah. So the Spanish police start looking into it. And at first they were a little bit skeptical because Nicholas had blonde hair and blue eyes. But between 13 and 16, boys can hit puberty and their hair can get darker. So they were like, well, maybe. He told them of this brutal torture that he endured for three years. Being brutally sexually assaulted every day. Being burned, cut, his hands broken. Even weird science experiments performed on him, including injecting solutions into his eyeballs with needles. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is he had blue eyes, but when they found him, he had brown eyes. And that was his reasoning was because these guys injected something into his eyes to turn them brown to cover up it like what he was looking like so that nobody else would be able to identify him. And this story was so traumatizing and awful. It was like almost unbelievable. But he had scars to prove it. He had burns on his head and his back. He even had like a deformed hand that had obviously been broken and never set properly. Like he had the scars and marks to prove everything he was saying. Yeah, he'd definitely been through something very tragic. Yeah. So the authorities contact Nicholas's family in the States because he had no papers or passport or ID. Somebody had to come get him to make sure it was him before the embassy could like make him a passport to send him back to the U.S. They told Carrie about his trauma and the fact that he was almost mute because of it. Like he hardly spoke and he had very little memory of his life before captivity. His captors had forced him to only speak French the entire time he was gone, which he didn't even know French. They had to teach him French. And they beat him if he ever spoke English. They would beat him mercilessly if they caught him speaking English. God, that's so hard because you don't know the language. Like, you know, like you're just kind of feeling your way through it. And he was in really bad shape. Like a totally different kid, but it didn't matter to Carrie. She was just happy to have him now. She was happy to hug him and know he was safe and she had him. So they spent that night in a hotel together in Spain and she showed him all of their current family pictures, pictures of her kids and their brother Jason and their mom, like updating him on what everybody was doing and what they were up to. One thing that was interesting too is while she was doing that, she thought he looked so much like their uncle. And he was like, she was like, wow, like as you aged, you've ended up looking like our uncle. How crazy is that? Yeah. So they spent the night together in that hotel and she said it was such a relaxing night just going to sleep and like listening to him breathe in the bed next to her. Like she was just so thankful that that she found him. I'm sure her head was still just spinning that they'd gotten to this point. Yeah. So the next day they went before a judge and prosecutors in the U.S. Embassy. And Carrie said, yes, this is Nicholas. And he showed them his tattoos and everything to prove that he was Nicholas. And they were still not quite convinced because he looked so different. The dark hair and the eyes, the five o'clock shadow of a beard at 16. They were like, something's not right. He has a French accent. They were like, that's weird. He grew up in America. But they showed him five. Five different family photos and he named all of the people in four out of the five photos. He only messed up on one. And so they decided that there's no way he could have done that if he wasn't Nicholas. So they issued him a passport and they put him and Carrie on a flight from Spain back to Texas. Did Carrie show him the pictures that they were going to show him the day before? Because obviously that would be how he knew. Yes. Oh, well. But she didn't know. Right. And I I'm not blaming her by any means. I'm just saying, like, obviously that's how, you know, he was able to to pinpoint him so easily. Yeah. Well, we're not doing, we're not giving that away yet, buddy. Oh, uh, (laughs) sorry. Uh, Of course he knew. Of course he knew who they were. I'll cut it in post. (laughs) (laughs) So his family was all at the airport in Texas to greet him when he got home. Everybody except Jason, because Jason had 
since Nicholas's disappearance, gotten clean and sober and was working at a rehab out of town as a peer support counselor. But everybody else was there. His entire family, Carrie's husband, their kids, their mom. And there's even video of this. You can see the video of him walking off the plane and seeing his family for the first time in three years. And they were so overjoyed to see him. Like, it was a hero's welcome. Yeah. But Beverly didn't live in the house that she did when he went missing. She was renting a room from somebody, so she couldn't have Nicholas come and live with her. So he went to live with his big sister, Carrie. Right, and she had a kid similar to his age, so it was easy. Yeah, so he shared a room with Carrie's son. And the family decided to get him back into a normal routine right away was like the best that they knew how to deal with what he went through. They were like, let's just get him back in school, get him back to doing his normal thing. So Nicholas started high school right away. Can you imagine what a trip this would be to like, okay, back to normal school or like back to normalcy is like, what is normal at this point? Yeah. I mean, I understand kind of like when you go through something traumatic like that, you just want to do a regular thing. But that seems like a lot right up front. Doesn't it? That's what I'm saying. Like That seems like a whole lot real quick. But he's making friends and he's hanging out with Carrie's son. And he even had a crush on a girl named Amy from school. Like things were, I guess, going okay. They weren't perfect, though. He did have struggles like reintegrating back into regular life. And he had a couple of major setbacks. I heard he stole Carrie's car once and drove to Oklahoma and then got stranded in Oklahoma and they had to come get him. Wow. Like there was a few minor things that kind of had a lot of like old Nicholas tinges on them. Yeah. So, but overall, he'd been a lot better and a completely different kid. Yeah. So one of the bigger red flags was that when he got back, him or the family didn't call the FBI or the police. Like they just went back to life. The FBI had to track them down so they could investigate what the hell happened to Nicholas for the last three years. The FBI agent that brought him in to interview him was, like, flabbergasted by his story. She was, like, this really sweet lady named Kathy, and she was totally, like, dumbfounded by this story. I mean, aren't you? Like, it's a crazy story. Yeah, she's like, this doesn't happen. Missing kids don't get found years later in Spain. It just doesn't happen. They're either never found or they're dead. It's very rare that they're found alive ever. Much less halfway across the world. And with this horrible story about being sex trafficked by military men, like, this is a terrible story. And she's horrified by it. So immediately she starts an investigation into these military men in this sex trafficking ring. But she has some problems with his story, too. Like the fact that it's fucking unbelievable. (laughs) His dark hair, his dark eyes, his French accent. Like, she was... Seeing the red flag, she's like, something's off here. But she tried to talk herself out of it. How do you not? In her shoes, how do you not? The family is here going like, this is the kid. We know. And like, you're brand new to the situation. How are you like, how are you the one who's like, "Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's what she kind of said. She's like, I I didn't want to be like, hey, this is all bullshit if this kid really went through this. Right. And she convinced herself that his mother and his sister would know their son and their brother. Right? Like, they can't not know if it's him. So a few months go by, and he's just living with Carrie and seeing Beverly a lot, going to school. Jason even came to see him. He's just doing life. And a TV show called Hard Copy decided that they wanted an interview with this Nicholas Barclay because they were like, hey, this is an unbelievable story. This never happens. Let's get an interview. So they hired a PI by the name of Charlie Parker to track him down to get the interview. Charlie was a pretty big character, but he does track down Nicholas and gets the interview. But he's shocked when he sees them filming this interview, like he's literally out of his mind. And like I said, Charlie was a character, but he was no dummy. He's like, hey, the fuck's going on here? This guy's not Nicholas. Like, and why is everybody just pretending he's fucking Nicholas? I don't get it. Yeah. And everybody's like, dude, shut up. This kid's been through a lot. Like, you know? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, maybe, but he's not Nicholas. Like, why are we doing this? So he had the cameraman zoom in on Nicholas's ears during this 
interview, and he took a pic of the real Nicholas, put it in Adobe Photoshop with the zoomed-in picture of the interviewed Nicholas's ears, and he zoomed in on him because he heard once that Scotland Yard used ears to identify the guy who shot Martin Luther King. So he's like, well, let's check his ears, see if his ears are the same. So when he puts these two ears in Adobe Photoshop and puts them next to each other and blows them up, he's like, um... Guys, guys, <laughs> these aren't the same ears. This this is not Nicholas. So he called the FBI agent immediately because Charlie went from like zero to 60 in three seconds. He's like, this is not Nicholas. This kid's a spy or a terrorist. Like he just went right off the deep end. Oh, he sure did. Yeah. So he calls this FBI agent and like she already had her own suspicions and she wasn't going to give up on busting the sex trafficking ring if it was true. But she also had suspicions that it wasn't true. So she set up a forensic interview with a shrink in Houston to get more info out of Nicholas. So she flies Nicholas to Houston to see this shrink and they do a forensic interview and the shrink comes out of the interview and was like this kid is not an American did nobody notice that he has a French accent yeah which is so funny to me like they just kind of went with it it just this was it that's fine yeah and they were like well he was forced to speak French for three years and the shrink was like that's not how it works dude Like, if you speak English for the first 13 years of your life, I don't care if you spend 30 years in a foreign country, you can still speak your native language without an accent. Exactly. I mean, we've all met people from different countries, you know, and who have been here for a long time and they still have their accent. I have a neighbor who's from Transylvania and he's been here for like his whole life and he still has a really thick accent. It's not any different than when he moved here because English was his second language. So anyway, this FBI agent, she was like, great. So she, (laughs) yeah, she's like, this is awesome. So she, now she's like pretty certain this isn't Nicholas, but she asks Carrie not to meet them back at the airport and she says she specifically told Carrie this guy is not Nicholas do not pick him up at the airport we'll take it from here and when they landed at the airport back in San Antonio Carrie was there to pick him up and so the FBI agent was just like what am I gonna do I guess you're going home with this guy that isn't your brother I'm sure she was like we told you not to come yeah and you showed up anyway she called the U.S. attorney and was like what do I do and he's like let him go like if she knows he's not her brother and she picked him up anyway let him go So in Carrie's defense, I saw a documentary with her and she says that it was not that clear that the FBI did not tell her that they knew for sure he wasn't her brother. But we'll get into that later. So this FBI agent, she asked Beverly and Nicholas for a blood sample for DNA and fingerprints, because at this point she's like, we got to prove this is Nicholas. We gave him a U.S. passport that says Nicholas Barclay on it. Right. And where the hell is the real Nicholas if this isn't him? Oh, absolutely. And if it's not, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. So according to this FBI agent, Beverly literally threw a temper tantrum about giving up her, like threw herself on the floor, would not give up her DNA, like wouldn't give them a blood sample. That's got to be a little concerning to the FBI as well. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So they get a court order for the fingerprints and the DNA. Turns out new Nicholas Barclay was actually a 23-year-old French guy named Frederick Bourdine who was wanted by Interpol. This inner's so nuts. Yeah. He was known as the Chameleon because he was known to use hundreds of aliases and had a hundred different stories of his life, And but he always was pretending to be an orphaned teenage boy to get into a group home or an orphanage all over Europe. And he doesn't look like a teenage boy. <laughs> you know, like people are just Negative. going with it and believing him. Yeah. Well, this is the first time that his lies and charades like made it this far. Usually he would get caught much sooner or he would give up on the story or he'd run away or whatever when he started when they started to close in on him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So once he was found out, he told a few different stories about what happened and how he got to this point. And one of the stories that he said was that he met Nicholas, the real Nicholas, in the sex trafficking ring. And that's how he decided to use Nicholas's identity. But eventually he admitted that that wasn't true and he really never had any contact with the real Nicholas. He didn't even really know about him. And we'll find out later how he finds out about Nicholas. But he was a pathological liar and it wasn't clear if anything he'd ever said about anything is true. Like, he just was, he would make up stories. 
So he was arrested in 1998 and he pled guilty to passport fraud and perjury and was sentenced to 16 years in a U.S. prison. No, six years. I was going to say, I didn't think it was that long. So, no, six years in a U.S. prison. So his stories kept going on, though, even after he was in jail. He told authorities that he believed the family was involved in Nicholas's disappearance, and that's why they accepted him so easily. And the police actually opened a homicide investigation because of his allegations, but they never found anything concrete to say that the family was involved. That's nuts. Yeah. So when Frederick was released in 2004, he went back to Spain and pretended to be an orphan of a woman who died in a bombing in Madrid, and he was deported back to France, where he then pretended for a few more months to be a 15-year-old orphan, and then when he got caught for that, later that same year, he was sentenced to four months in prison for impersonating somebody else. So he just kept, even in his late 20s, he was still pretending to be a teenager. That's unimaginable that he's this old (laughs) and still passing off as a teenager because he doesn't look like one. No. So eventually he got married and had children. And as far as I can tell, he stopped this bullshit of impersonating kids. Like at some point when you're in your late 30s and 40s, this is not going to work anymore. (laughs) You would think. Well, and now you're like internationally famous because you pulled this shit about Nicholas Barclay. So that's now it's all over the media. A couple of the identities after he was released from prison and went back to Europe One of the times he ended up in a middle school again, and one of his teachers called in a tip because she saw a news article about him pretending to be Nicholas Barclay and recognized him. What another just like absolute just mind boggling thing to be the teacher of this kid and just be like, um, what? This guy's what, like what, 27 or something at this point? Yeah. God. Like late, late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. So then in 2012, we got the best documentary I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) You've also told me it's the funniest documentary you've ever seen. It is. I don't think it's supposed to be, but it is accidentally one of the funniest documentaries I've ever seen. But one of the main things that's really good about this documentary is they had everybody. They have Nicholas's family. They have the investigators. They have the FBI agent. They've got Charlie Parker, the PI, and Frederick Bourdain himself. I think that's the coolest part. Yeah, he narrates like this whole documentary. So this is where we get his account of why this happened and how it happened. He's an asshole. Don't get me wrong. He's a total dick. For what he did to this family. But what he talks about in this documentary is kind of mind boggling how it did end up. And his account of how this happened, like from his point of view, was a shit show from the beginning. I believe that. Yeah, he said his childhood was awful. His mother was a young teenage mother and his father might have not even known he existed because he was married and somebody she worked with and was quite a bit older. He was also like half Algerian. And then his super racist grandparents raised him and hated hated him because he was half Algerian, so they abused him from a really young age. He says that all he ever wanted was love, and that's why he would pretend to be orphan teenagers so that people would take him in and care for him. And this I believe. I do too. This sounds legit. This does sound like it goes, and it's kind of understandable in a really sad, sad way. Especially because he has all these scars and signs of an abused child. And he knows all the things like when he was pretending to be Nicholas and all the stuff to say. Even the shrink was like, I believe that he went through some of this trauma, but he's not American. Like he's not Nicholas, but like (laughs) some of the stuff he's talking about is true. He says that he had no plan when he was picked up in Spain. Like, it wasn't like he knew anything about Nicholas Barclay, nothing. He just had a plan to pretend that he was a traumatized kid and that they would take him in and send him to a group home and that might last a week or two and then he'd move on. But when they decided that they were going to fingerprint him, he knew that he was wanted. So that's when he said, okay, look, I'm an American. I want to call my family myself. I don't want them to hear it from you. I want to call them. According to him, they left him in an office overnight with a telephone because it was daytime in America when it was nighttime in Europe. Sure. And he called multiple police departments like L.A., New York, Cincinnati, Cleveland, you know, just all over the place. I heard actually Seattle was like the main place he called because he had heard of Seattle and he thought it'd be a really cool place. And so that's where he was trying to land. Yeah. So he called multiple police departments asking if they had any missing children that fit his description, like he was describing himself. And then eventually, after calling a bunch of these police departments, they told him to call NCMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, that they would have a much bigger 
you know, they'd be able to check the entire nation at once. I mean, if nothing else, the balls on this guy are huge. Like, to even think this far to, like, do something like that, would you do that? I know you wouldn't. No. But, like, to go through this much effort, I wouldn't want to go through this much effort for a lie. But I also don't know if all of this is true, to be honest with you. Like, this is from him, and he's a pathological liar, so I don't know. But how else would he have known who Nicholas Barclay was? I'm not sure. But he says that he got on the phone with Nekmek and he was telling them, look, I'm this cop in Spain. My name is Jonathan Durant, which is like not a very Spanish name. I don't know why he picked that. I don't know. He was describing himself. So they're typing it in their system and they come up with Nicholas Barclay and they're like, hey, this could fit. This is his description. This is what, you know, he went missing in San Antonio three years ago. Like they told him the little backstory and they faxed him a black and white picture of Nicholas. And when Frederick saw the black and white picture, he's like, all right. And he committed to it because he's like, I could pass for this kid. I mean, three years later, you know, he just kind of was like, yep, that's him. Great. Thanks. The next day when the color packet showed up with all the info and the color photo and everything, he intercepted the mail, says him. And when he opened it up, he's like, well, shit. The only thing me and Nicholas Barclay have in common is that we both have five fingers on each hand. <laughs> like, they didn't look anything alike. And there there was, like, no possible way he could pass for Nicholas Barclay. But he was committed at this point. So he's like, whatever. So at first, when they told him that his sister was on the way to come get him, he tried to run away. He was like, well, I better get out of here before they realize I'm not Nicholas Barclay. But he says they caught him right away and took him back to the group home. And at that point, he's like, well, I guess I'll commit to this. And he had one of the girls at the group home tattoo the three tattoos on him. And he bleached his hair. And he's like, well, I'll ride this until the sister gets here and calls me out. So let's go into that real quick. He has dark hair. He bleaches it. Yeah. You're a hairdresser. Yeah. <laughs> what? What's mm-hmm. that going to look like? Is that going to look like blonde hair off one bleach job? No. Uh-uh. No, it's going to look orange and like gross. Yeah. Especially if you're doing it like who knows what kind of supplies he had, but I'm sh- certain it wasn't professional. I'm sure it wasn't even box dye. I'm sure it was bleach from the sanitary closet, you know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> So he's like, I'm just going to ride this until the sister gets here and is like, hey, that's not my brother. He's like, and then I'll get in trouble then or they'll kick me out or whatever. But then when Carrie got there, she didn't. She was like, this is my brother and I love him and hugging him. And he's like, what the fuck? Uh, like me too. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, I guess I'll take a flight to the United States. And then when the family sees me, they'll bust me. You know, like he's like, I'll just go on to this next thing. And then they didn't. <laughs> so crazy. He tells... Yeah, he tells a story about how he was a little bit bummed when he woke up in rural Texas because, like you said, he wanted to end up in, like, New York or Seattle or L.A. And he said he woke up in Texas and it was just, like, fields. And he's like, well, that's not what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. So, but he kept thinking, like, at any point the bubble was going to burst and it just never did. And even in this documentary, they asked him, they're like, did you ever think... Of just stopping this and being like, hey, guys, I'm a shitty person. I'm not Nicholas Barclay. I'm really sorry. And he's like, no, because I thought they would. Like, I never thought about stopping because I thought somebody would stop this. Yeah. <laughs> like, at some point. The fact that it got this far isn't really on him, is it? Yeah. And that's that's kind of what he says in the documentary, which it obviously is, because he did his best to convince everybody. But still, it was like, after a while, he started to be like, why are all these people just buying this bullshit like this is bullshit i've never been here (laughs) he didn't know the roads in a town he grew up in he didn't know the schools he had gone to other people that he knew like he didn't know any of it yeah this shouldn't have been this hard he also tells about how jason came to see him and only spent a few minutes with him and then left and just said good luck didn't he also give him like a gold cross or something like that I didn't hear that, but but he literally wasn't, obviously wasn't buying it. Yeah. And he said Jason was the only one that gave him any inclination that he wasn't buying this. So he says he started to get a little weirded out because he realized that Nicholas wasn't coming home. And at first he was worried that Nicholas was going to come home any day. But then after getting to know the family and stuff and Jason not buying his story and all that kind of stuff, that's what he says started to like hint in his mind like, well, Jason knows that I'm not Nicholas, but he's not calling me out on this. Why? Right. So that's when he started to think like this family has something to do with the disappearance. their son's disappearance. Yeah. Yeah. So this documentary is wild. This is like how we meet Charlie Parker, the P.I., and how we know he's such a character. And he's also convinced, too, that the family did something to Nicholas now. We meet the FBI agent who's like too sweet to call him on his bullshit. <laughs> 
She's like, who am I to listen to this story and then call him a liar? It's like, ah, you're an FBI agent. That's <laughs> kind of your job. That's what you do. Yeah, but she's like so sweet. She's like, well, I didn't want to be the asshole. Everybody else was letting this go on. Yeah. I mean, eventually she did. She was the one that called called it out, you know, and got the court order and all that stuff. Finally, yeah. But I mean, she was the, also the one who was like <laughs> closest to this. But in her defense, man. Yeah. <laughs> If the family's buying it, who were you to say otherwise? I know. So like we said, this documentary is amazing, and I super recommend it. If you're interested in this story, you should check it out. It used to be on Netflix, and then it was on Tubi, and now I'm pretty sure it's just on YouTube. You could just watch it. Yeah, I've heard that too, Netflix, Tubi, and, and YouTube, and I saw parts of it on YouTube. So at least parts of it. I think yeah. you watched the whole thing on YouTube. Yeah, but the one thing that really isn't sorted out and isn't really even talked about that much is what in the actual hell happened to the real Nicholas Barclay. And we still don't know. He went missing that one day and he's never, I mean, other than what Jason said, but I don't know about him. Yeah. They've never been heard from since. Which brings us to Theoryland. Our favorite time of this episode. Yeah. So there's really only like three theories. Obviously there's sub theories, but the first main theory is that he was a runaway because he had that court date that he didn't want to go to and he didn't want to go to a group home. So he ran away. Uh, I think that that has some validity to it. Not not a lot. I think on its face it does. Yeah. I don't think it has a lot, but I do think it has some. Yeah. I think this many years later with such a troubled kid and he left at such a young age, at some point he would have been arrested by now. If that was true and he just ran away... He would have been arrested by now, probably a lot of times. Yeah, I think that's probably what would have happened too. Yeah. Yeah. So the second theory is that he was abducted by a stranger walking home from the basketball courts. It was a one to two mile walk that could have taken anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. He was only 13 years old. He was super small for his age. And Beverly has said in multiple interviews that he would have taken a ride from anybody. Like if somebody pulled up and was like, hey, do you want to ride home? He would have taken it. Because she says that he was less street smarts than he gave himself credit for. Like, he wanted to believe he was more street smart than he really was. I think at 13, we all want to think we're pretty street smart. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. So, and this theory is not unbelievable. I mean, if he was abducted by a stranger, he was probably murdered fairly quickly after and they'd just never have found his body. Yeah, could be. Yeah. So the third and probably the most interesting theory that everybody talks about the most is that his family did something to him, specifically his brother Jason, that Jason in a cocaine-fueled rage, got in a fight with Nicholas or snapped on him or something and then covered it up. And that's why he would call the police three months later to report seeing him because it would be like, oh, he's still alive and he's just run away. That's kind of the only reason that makes sense if he did call him, honestly, because otherwise, like, chase after him and like, yeah, maybe... Like after you went after him, but otherwise it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. So another like tick on this theory is that Jason was short with Frederick when he was pretending to be Nicholas. And Frederick says that's because Jason knew that Nicholas was dead. Like he's not Nicholas. He knows that. Right. It's like he was saying good luck with all this. Yeah. And Frederick thinks that Beverly might know too. And that's why she didn't live with Frederick when he came home pretending to be Nicholas. Because she might know that Jason did something to the real Nicholas. But Carrie, I don't think knew. I mean, even if, even in this theory, I wouldn't think, even if they did do something to him and Beverly found out about it later, I still don't think Carrie knew. I think she just really wanted her brother home. I don't think Carrie knew either. I mean, going off of what we know, she seems to be the only one who kind of had any sort of normal life. Um, so to yeah. speak. And so, yeah, I don't think she was really uh, involved with what they had going on. But she also thinks that her family was not either. She's very adamant that Jason and her mom did not do anything to Nicholas. She thinks that it's just a convenient excuse because Jason's not around to defend himself. Because shortly after this whole thing happened with Frederick Bourdain and all that and Nicholas coming home who wasn't Nicholas, Jason actually relapsed and died of a drug overdose. Which, you know, that... Pegs its own set of questions, too. It does. But she's also really upset that anybody would believe Frederick, fake Nicholas, whatever, about anything, since he lies so much about everything. She's like, why would anybody believe this bullshit? And that's a fair point, too. Yeah. But also, you and Beverly let a stranger pretend to be your brother for four months, so your judgment maybe isn't rock solid on this. Like, you've got a lot of motion involved, you know? 
the cast of characters that goes into this, like, I mean, this is kind of what makes for the perfect unsolved yeah. crime. I mean, is it, I don't know what else to call it, but. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah. Nicholas is missing. It's a crime. Yeah. But also, Jason may have been short with Frederick because he knew it wasn't Nicholas. Like, Off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not because he did anything to him, just because he was not an idiot. And he's like, well, this 23-year-old man with a full beard and a French accent is not my brother, obviously. Yeah, so. Good luck, liar. You know, I did it. Yeah. yeah. Like, but then why not call it out? I don't know. There's that's the other thing, too. I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he went to his mom and was like, hey. Yeah. And she didn't believe him. Totally. And so he was just like, all right, man, good luck. Yeah. Maybe her and Carrie were that deep in denial about him being Nicholas. Yeah. That could right. Be. I mean, yeah. Well, Charlie Parker at the end of that documentary was dramatically digging up the backyard of the old house that Nicholas went missing, like where they lived when Nicholas went missing. Obviously, he found nothing, but he made it seem like he was going to find it. Like literally the documentary ends with Charlie Parker digging a huge hole in their backyard trying to find Nicholas. <sighs> Like, this documentary is wild. It's like, takes so many turns, it's crazy. No, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, so there's never been any trace of the real Nicholas Barclay, dead or alive, in 28 years. He would be 41 now if he was alive today. Wow. Like, you imagine if they found him now, (laughs) how crazy that would be? Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be the best ending to the story, though, is to find him? It's really the only ending that would be the best ending to the story. Otherwise, it's just sad. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. The whole thing's sad. And fuck Fred, too. What an asshole. Like, I can't believe he did this to a family. Like, whether or not you think they did this to their son, like, if you're on that train that they did this, he didn't know that when he pretended to be a missing child. True. Yep. So he's an asshole. But also, we wouldn't know anything about Nicholas Barclay if he didn't do this. We wouldn't know that he's even missing. That's true, because this is what made this story interesting to people and what got the word out there. Yeah. So it's like you want to hate him because he's a dick. But at the same time, you're like, well, now we know that Nicholas Barclay's missing. So maybe we can find him or find out what happened to him. Yeah. Hopefully we can find out what happened to him because I don't think there's a strong possibility we're going to find him. No. So we've gone through what the possible theories are. What is your overall theory of what happened to Nicholas Barclay. I think that something happened to him that day, either when he got home from that basketball game or on his way home from that basketball game. I don't think he ever made it out of San Antonio that day. Do you think Jason had anything to do with it? I don't want to because he was his brother. And that's a very convenient, like Carrie says, a very convenient scapegoat because he's not here to defend himself. But it would make a lot of sense. I think it could make a lot of sense. I don't know that it would. Because as far as we know, I mean, other than being a drug addict, he didn't really give him a whole lot of reason to kill him. Right. I mean, he was kind of a mess up or not a mess up. I shouldn't say that. He was kind of a difficult kid. But who, then again, who knows if he's on a binge, maybe yeah. he looked at him wrong. I have no idea. I've never done that stuff. So I don't I can't definitively say how it makes you feel. But I can say that anything can happen when you're. Yeah on mind-altering substances. Yeah, totally. Like I said, though, I don't want to think that because it's like, oh, it's his brother. You don't want to think that. But there is a lot of stuff with the family that's very hard to explain how this got this far. Yeah. And you can explain some of it away with being in denial. I get that. And even Beverly not wanting to give up her blood for the DNA test, I can even explain that away. Like, I mean, she's a heroin addict. She maybe didn't want to get in trouble for doing drugs. Like, maybe she thought they were going to run it for drugs, you know? Yeah, I can point. see that too. But there's other stuff that I that I just doesn't add up. Like there's a lot that doesn't add up in this story yeah. in a lot of different areas. Yeah, like not reporting him missing for three days really bothers me. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a huge one. That's a huge red flag. Absolutely. Yeah, and it could just be that their relationship was that bad. Like you know that shows what kind of a mother she was. It shows what kind of a home life he had. Like that sucks. If that's if they didn't do anything to him and they waited three days to report him missing that's crazy it's really bad <laughs> it's really really not good so i don't know to me i would hope that they didn't do anything to him but it does check all the boxes if they did yeah i think so too and reporting him missing finally after three days i feel like was really convenient that it was the day before his court date yeah like i wonder if somebody was like oh shit he's not going to show up to his court date tomorrow we better report him missing like i wonder if he didn't have a court date i wonder if they would have ever reported him that's a really good point i hadn't thought about that but yeah that's a really good point yeah so i don't know but i kind of want to i want to hope that it was a stranger but at the the same time then you know for sure he's probably not 
alive and well. So I want him to be a runaway who, like, got taken in by a really nice family who doesn't have any, like, cable or internet or TV and didn't know he was missing. And they just, like, raised him and he turned into this wonderful 41-year-old man that someday is going to be like, hey, guys, I'm Nicholas Barclay and I'm fine. But probably not. That's not going to happen, but okay. Yeah. But you want to believe it. <laughs> hey, this story is yeah. so fucking unbelievable if we're just making shit up. You're right. You know what? Who am I to say? After all yeah. of this that we just went through, who am I to say? You're right. That probably is what happened. Yeah. It would be very fitting for this story. It would be. What's your most likely scenario? I don't know. I think explain away his family. I think they were grieving and I think that they really wanted this to be Nicholas, especially his sister. So yeah. I think they were willing to look at things the other way. As far as what happened to him, I don't know. I I want to think kind of what you're thinking and think that his brother had nothing to do with it but there are a lot of fingers that point to his brother so you know like yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point about what would have happened if he didn't have a court date. Would he have just been swept under the rug and hope nobody would notice? Yeah. I don't know. That's tough. The other thing we didn't mention is the lie detector test. Beverly took a lie detector test and she passed. She passed one, failed one. And she passed two and failed the third one. Oh, okay. Which only proves our point that there is no need to take a lie detector test because even if you pass the first two, they're going to want to take another one until you fail. So, And then you fail. And they're like, see, look, they were lying the whole time. Like, exactly. you asked the same damn questions. I don't know how I could be lying now, but. They say it's because she was on drugs. And so they were trying to, they gave it to her and then they were trying to let the drugs wear off and then they gave it to her again and then let the drugs. And then finally, when she was sober, all of a sudden she failed the polygraph. That's their reasoning for giving her three tests in the same day. Yeah. To me, it feels like more like maybe she was having withdrawal symptoms and you guys were giving her a polygraph test at the same time. Maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah, that could definitely Maybe that be. could affect your sweat and your stress levels and your heart rate and all that kind of stuff. Possibly. Anyway, wild story. And I hope we find someday what happened to Nicholas Barclay. And if you guys are really interested in this story, I cannot recommend watching that documentary enough like you will it is one of the best documentaries you've ever seen at the very least you can watch a 60 minutes document or 60 minutes clip from australia with uh what was this french guy's name Franz Ferdinand, Frederick Bourdine, and it, it that in and of itself is like what the heck is this guy talking about so yeah there's lots yeah. of good stuff all over the place. Yeah, he's interesting. All right. Well, that is about it for this week. All right. Don't forget to change your Amazon smile to DNA Dough Project. Always. All right. Love you. All right. Love you too. Bye. Bye.